that's how you build rivalries, and that's how you build atmosphere. Edwards, three-pointer, it's good! This team is right there with anybody else in, in the country. They are clicking on kind of a different level that we didn't um, that we didn't see this year. Perry for the lead. Oh! He did it again. Is this a personnel issue? Is I think I really think it's just a, a player fit. Like I I think, and again, is. this is this is partially his fault, right? These are his transfers yes. that he brought in, right? But I'm still saying I think this is just a whiff. I think this is just a whiff on you his can't, part. You can't, you can't, you cannot whiff with this much talent. And I love Texas Tech. This is home. And I get to stay home. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Zone Star State Podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Ishmael Johnson. Ish, it was another crazy few days of college basketball we made it through the weekend uh we waited to record until tuesday to let the women's side play their games and just like that we're down to a handful of teams playing basketball well, not even a handful year. anymore <laughs> well if you include the nits true true yes okay you're, you're handful, a good point yes handful yeah. uh but yes in the ncaa tournament it is starting to look very bleak but um, we'll get to all that. But let's start with positivity. Let's start with positivity. Mm. There are two teams left in the bracket from Texas, and they have a chance to play each other. We I was about to say we only have one chance. One of them is getting the chance to play the final four. <laughs> we need, but we need the matchup to happen at this point for this podcast sakes. We need this matchup. Houston um, beats Auburn eighty-one to sixty-four. Uh, advances to the Sweet 16. Congratulations to Houston. It was looking a little scary there. We'll we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Texas beats Penn State 71 to 66. Again, it was looking uh, iffy for a little bit. They weren't down per se, but you know we, you never know with Texas and uh, right. how it was going to go. But they pull it out 71 66. Houston will play Miami, who beat uh, Miami beat Indiana pretty convincingly, uh, even though Indiana came back to tie the game. And then Xavier. Uh, is Texas opponent Xavier beat Pitt pretty handily, and so Xavier is looked at as one of the, you know, more potent teams in the tournament, making for a very interesting Sweet 16 draw. We'll get to the other teams that from Texas that lost uh, over the weekend as well, but let's start. Let's start with Houston. Uh, Houston, like I said, beat Auburn. Um, I went back and watched this game um, after the fact. I was watched a little bit here and there, but it just it's so impressive with Sasser and Shed being limited the way that they are limited the fact that they are able to to play like this but Marcus Sasser is a dog that's just that's where it starts for me yeah I mean to me this one starts with the second half kind of showing what at least to me what Houston showed at the beginning of the year right like this the first half it was really shaky it was really like Though at one point I think they were down, uh, I think Bama or uh, Kansas had lost, and then Houston was down. So we were like, are you about to lose two number one seeds in in, in the same day? And it was looking they were down what ten at the half, I think. Right, Houston was. Um, and in the second half they turned it on, and they really defensively 
I think is when they kind of hit their 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 stride because sure uh, Sasser and Shed had foul trouble and we can talk about Tremont Mark in a bit and kind of how he may be that that other key that they need to hit another level in this tournament to kind of make a run um, or to kind of get to the championship. But defensively to me, Auburn had no solutions, right? Auburn had nothing figured. They couldn't figure anything out in the second half. They were taking basically all the shots that Houston wanted them to. And I was, I don't know. I, I what was, what did they hold Auburn to in that second half? Cause it felt like. Second I half know, specifically. I, didn't... I don't have the second half specifics up. Yeah. Um, Actually, I'm looking right here. It was uh, 23 in the second half, right? They put up tw- like they put up. I think third. No, let's see. As the as a team for the game, Auburn shot 37.7 percent and five right. 16 from three. Like right, it didn't they help. Wanted, they Auburn were they were their free they had 41. They had 41 in the first half, and they had 23 in the second half. Right. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Uh, Auburn didn't make their free throws. 19 of 36. So uh, that didn't help them at all. But again, Houston. I was worried about them against, you know, Auburn's size. Um, Johnny Broom is, is a pretty big guy, and they have a couple other decently sized forwards on that Auburn team, and Houston out-rebounded them. That's what mm-hmm. we're looking for, 17 offensive rebounds, 28 defensive rebounds, uh, 12 blocks from Houston. That's the Houston that we expect to see. Now, obviously, like you said, they were down 10 at half. Did they look, you know, amazing? No, but – got the win and that's all that matters at this point in the year when a lot of teams you know don't get those wins um now they have miami and i was not able to watch miami indiana Mm -hmm. i had indiana uh, making it to this round and then beating houston in my bracket so miami miami men and women beat indiana men and women which is like very rare (laughs) i didn't even didn't even think about that yeah Yeah, like both in the sweet 16 uh which by the way it's crazy how the brackets both worked out like that in general the fact that they met up in the sweet 16 uh, or before the sweet 16 um or the second round i should say but yeah like both in back in back to back or like in basically in three days both men and women (laughs) miami india just nuts wow no that is crazy uh so yeah I, i i was not able to watch indiana miami uh i don't know if you were if you have any notes on miami or anything like that go ahead I mean, I had a friend who, I had a friend who went who went to Indiana and who, kind of advised me because I, when I when I mentioned I was like, hey, I think I have Indiana. I think Indiana has a good matchup against Houston. He like stressed to me. He's like, Miami is a bad matchup for Indiana. Mm-hmm. Like straight up. He's like, I don't think we don't shoot an we shoot three well, but he was like, we don't shoot enough threes to maybe be to maybe like have that kind of. Uh, if if somebody else isn't going right, if Trace Jackson Davis isn't going as well as he can, or um, uh, the Jalen Hood Shafino isn't going yeah. as well. Like they, uh, he can kind of get into a little bit of, a, of chucking mode and kind of get into kind of fall in love with three, maybe when he's not on to kind of find himself. And it's kind of a little bit of what happened in this one. Um, I didn't see all of it, but they weren't able to really control the boards. Um, they kind of, you know, Miami, I think, what was it? Yeah, 20 to 12 on the offensive boards, 28 to 19 on the on the defensive boards. And they didn't get, you know, Indiana's not a team that gets to the line, which against, I think, that's what he was, when their offense isn't working, they're not able to kind of get to the line enough at times. And so they, I think, but they kind of played Miami to a stalemate on, in terms of fouls and getting to the line. And um, yeah, he, he, he texted me like during the game when it was, when they were like up, Miami was up 13 and he was like, look, I told you, like, this is, <laughs> this is a two, this was a bad matchup for us. Um, this team, when they're, when they're really good offensively, they're able to really move the ball. And, and, but 
Miami was able to kind of just stifle um, stifle things and then kind of find what they needed to in the paint. And so, yeah, that was kind of an issue for them, um, which I think makes an it's interesting issue for – it kind of makes an interesting game because Jim Laranega, I think, is one of the most underrated coaches in the country. Um, what he's done at Miami more or less consistently. Like they had that year – I forgot they had the year I forgot what year it was where they were like number they were like fighting for like top five in the country or so with the, I think it was the Shane Larkin year mm-hmm. um and that was kind of the peak of that of his run but they've never been bad right they've always been like a really reliable reliably solid team and I think because of his age he hasn't really been linked to other jobs and so he's just kind of been able to last in Miami but he's always been like a team a coach that can like really get kind of, I don't say average teams, but seemingly average teams to really overperform. And somebody like an Isaiah Wong, right, who Nigel Pack, um, those guys who were kind of linked elsewhere, right, throughout the whole summer, or Nigel Pack, I should say, came came into them. Um, And they've just been like a solid team. Twenty, I think they've been like quietly, what are they? Yeah, 27 and 7. They have a two-point loss to Duke, a three-point loss to Pittsburgh, a one point loss to Florida state. And like those are, let me see. And then an overtime loss to NC state. And that's three of their conference, three of their five conference losses. Yeah. Right. And so if we're, if we're like, if we're talking about three, four, one possession losses, and all of a sudden this team's probably like, you know, probably a fighting for a two or a three seed. Yeah. Uh, May, uh, Miami ranks 11th in offense on Ken Palm. I mean, really good stats across the board, top 60 in yeah. offensive rebound percentage, turnover percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, they're 18th. So uh, a lot of offensive stats there that make me interested in this game from Houston's defense perspective to see if they can slow them down. Because Houston, uh, while I think the win over Auburn was good, Auburn is not as potent as uh, Miami is offensively. They're just not. Um, And I think my – and once uh, Houston did a good job on Wendell Green and the guards, it was pretty much over for for Auburn. So – it's going to be a strength on strength matchup. I mean, you know, Houston's defense versus Miami's offense. Like you said, Miami's 11th in adjusted efficiency on offense. Houston's fourth on defense. Um, I think the interesting part's going to be the, again, it's going to be the free throw line. Um, Houston gives up a lot of threes because of their aggressive style, or sorry, a lot of free throws because of their aggressive style. Miami's not a team that gets to the line a lot. Um, they're not a team that shoots the, that shoots really well either. Um yeah. Actually, they should okay. They're like 70. Actually, they actually shoot pretty well. Actually, I misread that. Uh, but they don't get to the line a lot. And so yeah. they're, I don't know, the way to beat this Houston team is kind of making them, is kind of one, putting their guys in foul trouble, which we can talk about. Come on, Mark. We thought we know how we thought they were kind of in foul trouble in this yeah. game. Um, and then hitting the threes that they give you because they're going to give up some threes. But it's going to be interesting. This one's going to be really fascinating. I think the other side of the ball is going to be the more interesting matchup because I think Houston's offense is better and more explosive than Miami is on defense. So I think that's going to be, if this turns into a track meet or a game that Houston isn't typically used to playing, I think that still kind of leans in their favor. Yeah. Houston is 288th in free throw attempt rate defense and 339th in three point attempt rate defense. So they definitely open the door at times mm-hmm. for teams to to get hot on them, which Miami could do. Um, sure. I don't have a prediction for this. I, I you had we both had Indiana in this game. Yeah, in our bracket. I, I, yeah, I think I'm. I guess I'm leading Houston now. I am too. Just because of matchup, I think. Well, also they've played five games in nine days. 
Houston. Mm-hmm. So they get a few days off now. Right, right. Yeah, but this is a team that definitely could use it a couple of days off. So if you get Sasser, I mean, Sasser was so impressive in that Auburn game. Man. I was about to say, it didn't look like he was hurt at all. <laughs> <laughs> you get that Sasser, and Jarris Walker didn't even play that well offensively. I think, I don't remember, he think he made three shots. Finished, but... with, finished with six blocks, though. Yeah, dude. Yeah, he's, he's a monster. He's a freak. So, I think I texted you. I was like, Houston. I think I texted you this when they were losing. I was like, Houston is just too talented to lose this game. I will right. be. I would have been very, very disappointed if they lost to this Auburn team because I don't think this Auburn team was very good. Like I had Iowa beating this Auburn team because I just, I've been out on this Auburn team since they were in the top fifteen. I yeah. didn't think they were good. So glad Houston overcame that. I think they should beat Miami. I think they should at this point with the way that they're playing. My concern coming into the tournament was, and even after the first round was. This isn't the Houston team that we wanted. They're not playing with the same edge, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They got the win. They play a Miami team that maybe they – I don't know how exactly they match up with them, but mm-hmm. Wong and Pack, you know, against Sasser Shed. Yeah, I, the matchups are there. We'll I was about to say the backcourt matchup is going to be fantastic, I think. Yeah, for sure. So we'll see how that goes. All right, Texas. Texas, Texas, Texas. Um, There's Ooh, a lot boy. to unpack here. Yeah, a lot because they've played now two of the best three point shooting teams in the country in Colgate and Penn State. Yep. If you watch those games, though, it's pretty clear Texas was a much better team than both of those teams. Like just sure. physically, you know, the better guard play, like just more reliable day in and day out. Uh, the rev- the um, the revelation for me this postseason, and I think everybody who has watched the team has had the same revelation. I'm not saying anything new here. Is uh, Dylan DeSue has oh, just turned into an otherworldly player. Won won the Big Twelve Championship MVP, and now goes 14 of 20 with 10 boards against Penn State. And uh, I remember, you know, we've talked about like Timmy Allen and Christian Bishop and their limitations. And Brock Cunningham be like, there's all these guys that are limited, yeah. you know, a little bit. Dylan DeSue, when he's going, changes comp- the everything about this team because we love the guards, but like mm-hmm. he gives them that other dynamic that they don't have otherwise. No, hundred percent. Like he was what they missed last year, right? Like we we kept looking last year it was like Trey Mitchell and eh, Christian Bishop, and eh, and he was kind of trying to work his way into the lineup, and it was they needed you. You could tell they needed somebody to be a consistent big next to Timmy Allen. And especially when he's, you know, he's an undersized big. And so it was like him this year, the second half of the year specifically, just insane. I'm trying to find his conference numbers. So 62% from the floor in conference, 59% effective field goal percentage. And yeah, I mean, like this, this he's been, he's been fantastic. Uh, let me see if I can find his uh, averages exactly. Here we go. So he's shooting 60% from two, nearly 60% from two, more or less. And he is average. He was only averaging... So you look at it, and you're like, okay, eight points, four rebounds, right? You're like, okay, that's decent, right? But look at his recent run of games, right? The recent run specifically has been stellar. First of all, I think eight points and four rebounds doesn't dictate what he does defensively for them. Um, yeah. He's able to be just a, a presence. He's not like, you know, he's not an elite shot blocker who's shutting down the paint, but he's just like a presence that they didn't have last year in the paint. Um, looking at his numbers recently. So since March I have the last eight games. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. I have the last eight games, 24 points against Baylor, 10 points against TCU, 9 points against Kansas, 11 against Oklahoma State, 15, 18, 17, 28. 
Yeah. And if you and look that, at the that, first two months of the season, it mm-hmm. was almost all single digits. Right. And now he's routinely in the double digits. Yep. And by the way, since that's since the tournament too, since the tournament specifically, 11, 15, 18, 17, yeah. uh, 28 with three double doubles in there. So yeah. like the conference tournament, I should say. So yeah, no, he's been an absolute incredible because that's last year. That's what made this Texas team so frustrating last year and not so much this year. And especially not the past month or so is that the easy, there was no easy bucket. Yeah. Right. They didn't look like everything was like Marcus Carr kind of taking a step back and like, you know, it was just kind of like, what, where's the easy bucket now? It's like, Oh, now we got somebody who can just kind of get the dump off. Right. We can just dump it off in the paint. Boom. Dylan DeSue layup, or, you know, he can get an offensive board put back. Boom. Bunny, you know, things like that. It's like, He's just, yeah, he has been sensational. And especially against teams like Penn State, who aren't the biggest team, right? You need somebody who, hey, by the way, last last year against Purdue, what was the thing that did them in? They had no one who can go at Zach Eady on the other side. They had no one who can go at Trevion Williams on the other side, right? And they just got bully balled and pushed out of the paint. If they had a hell, if they had this Dylan DeSue last year, this this level healthy Dylan DeSue. They have somebody who can just at least make them work on the other end. And when you play a smaller team like a Penn State, yeah, sure, you're going to have somebody who can go in and get the offensive boards and get make them really try to change things up. And, and really, early on, uh, Texas controlled this game, and it wasn't until late where they got kind of shaky. Yeah, I mean, Dylan DeSue is 6'9", and the tallest player on this team. It's, it's kind of funny how, you know, Timmy Allen, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, or so, uh, even with the addition of like a Dylan Mitchell six, eight, it makes such a big difference to have a guy who can score really on the inside, but he is a very kind of versatile scorer when he's clicking and it just changes the way this team operates. So shout out to Dylan DeSue for being basically the MVP over the past six games for this team. And now they go to a game against Xavier. I had Xavier winning this game. Um, If y'all listen to our, preview podcast i'm very high on xavier i think xavier is really tough i have them in my final four uh number seven in offense in the country the defense is hit or miss they're 63rd in defense but um the way that i I watched them score the ball against Pitt, and even though the kennesaw state game was close i think they had i think they had like 40 something points in the first half uh oh no they yeah they were down to kennesaw state at, at half but end up coming back and winning it. I, I just think this offense of, of Xavier is going to give them real problems. And this is going to be a real test for a coach in Rodney Terry that, you know, he's not a defensive first coach, at least from yeah. our perception of him. This is going to be the real test here. You got Sule Boom against Rodney Terry. That's another storyline here. Ex-coach mm-hmm. uh, ex, ex coach versus uh, ex-player, not even playing for the same team in, anymore. It's not like a player left and the coach is still there or vice versa. Right. It's just they both <laughs> left and now are thriving. I do want to um I do want to give before uh, before I mention is uh, mention the game versus Xavier. I do want to give a tip of the hat to Jalen Pickett from Penn State who uh when when Funk was was not hitting uh I think Brad Underwood from Illinois called it booty ball with uh yeah. Jalen Pickett, where he just posts up and does the old Charles Barkley. I'm just going to post you up for like 
20 seconds and then let the offense run around me. Um, that's what got Penn State back in this game. And I just love that. I love that old school style where it's like, here's a guard who can post you up and just kind of back you down into the paint and then make a dime or something to the to the baseline cut. Um, but anyway, that, that was one thing that I, I just remember watching. That I was like, they, they know he's just going to back you down from the three point line. Right. And then he just starts yeah. doing that. Anyway, um, Xavier. No, I agree about Xavier. Like Sean Miller has done a fantastic job there. I'm surprised he's not linked with other jobs elsewhere um i think that i don't know if the ncaa sanctions at arizona are still a little iffy for some people but he's done an incredible job just turning them into like a powerhouse or back into a powerhouse i should say after chris mack left um so yeah this is gonna be this is gonna be a fun one man like i really i'm picking texas because i had texas in my final four but I, this is this is definitely like the tougher game when, when we originally when I originally thought that Houston had the tougher path in this bracket, right. That was with Indiana. That was even including Auburn expecting to win. I, I don't think that's the case anymore. Like I think the Xavier team's looking really good. And I think Texas now obviously has a tougher, a tougher matchup. Sule boom is going to be interesting, but Texas has bodies that it can throw mm-hmm. at Sule boom and Adam Kunkel. Um, yeah. The backcourt there. I feel good about Texas backcourt in this game. The problem is Texas went one of thirteen from three against uh, Penn State. Right. Part, part of me, part of me wants to think that that was just like their war because it was it was a bad shooting. I mean, honestly, both teams shot pretty yeah. like Penn State was more surprising, obviously, because they yeah. they're like one of the top three point shooting teams in the country. But yeah. that part of me was just like that was just like an off game for both teams, and it was just like eh, throw that to the side. But the thing about Xavier is like they have so many dudes who can just. Like, while Texas has dudes you, they can throw at you defensively, Penn State has so many dudes that can just score, yeah. right? Like, Sule Boom, I think, what did he have? He didn't have – he had 14 points against Pitt, right? Yeah. But then he had – Jack Nunge had, had – or Nunge had 18, right? Adam Kunkel had 15. Um, Colby Jones had 10. You look at their so starting like, lineup. Their starting yeah. lineup, real quick, let me just read off their three-point percentages for the year. Sule yep. Boom, 41%. Colby Jones, 38%. Zach Nunge – uh, 40% and uh, Adam Kunkel, 40%. And they're yeah. all on pretty high volume. Uh, Nunje, the center, is at, uh, what is that, three, over a little over three attempts per game. The rest are around four. Sule Boom's at 191 attempts on the year. So that's yeah. four shooters right there. They are third say in the country in three-point percentage. The one thing about Xavier is they're not very deep. Right, they play seven. Like, they play strict, like, like pretty strictly seven. Um so that's going to be something to watch to me is because this Texas team can play, they can go deep and, you know, they haven't needed to really that much uh, yet, but they can go deep if they need to. And they can play, you know, they can go eight, nine deep if they need to. I'm, yeah. I'm, that's where I'm kind of curious to see Xavier, because I feel like Rodney Terry is going to try to throw some things at him, especially Sule Boom, different defenders. I think we're going to see Arterio Morris around. We're going to see, Obviously, Tyrese Hunter probably hound uh, uh, Sule Boom as much as he can. And, yeah, that's going to be the fascinating matchup to me. And the, uh, the other one is the size. Penn State's a bigger team, right? Like, like um, uh, you got a seven-footer in there. You got a six-eight player in there. You got a six-six player in there as well. So that's going to be kind it's of the so fascinating funny. thing for me. Yeah. It's so funny. We've talked about, like, uh other teams we cover that, that are maybe like in the southland or the whack or something we look at their average height I, on mm-hmm. Kim they have average height and they have it ranked and right. you're just like man you know this team is 300 something than an average height yeah. texas this year is 270th 
they're not a big yeah they're not a big team like i like i said dylan just a six nine is their tallest player by and then you have like right. allen six six bishop six seven cunningham yeah. six six mitchell six eight that's gonna be so that's gonna be so like this is that's obviously a staple of of i think chris beard teams in the past yeah. right they, they they were never big um that's gonna be something to watch going forward if if rodney terry gets the job which again I don't know if they win this game and they go to the elite eight. I don't, I, I don't know. It, it seems like a weird case to not give him the job at that point, but um, that's going to be fascinating to watch. It's like, does he, st- what is, what does his team look like? Right. Like what is his style of player? Look, Cause they, I mean, Bryson Williams was the tallest team on those UTEP teams. And he was what, yeah. six, nine about basically. Yeah, they had him and Verhoeven. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm curious if they stick with that or I don't know, but that, that is a good point. Like, yeah, they're not a big, they're not a big team and they've, you know, they kind of, they've made it work for themselves. Obviously. I'm looking up to see the biggest team in the big 12, because if you think about it, the big 12 is not math. I just watched Kentucky. I'll rebound Kansas state by 20 and Kansas state right. won the game. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, Kansas only Texas has, I mean, Tech, they have KJ Adams. Who was that? Texas who was Tech is the biggest team in the big 12 and they are first in the country. I was about to say Fardaw's kind of like skews that a lot. So I don't even think they're that, that many, big outside. Of, or I guess Bacha, Bacha too. They had Bacha. Bacha too. There's not yeah. a team in the Big 12 in the top 70 in the country in size. Yeah. That's, That's not just a, It's an interesting observation here. No, it is. Like it really is. Like it kind of shows the evolution of the game. You know, like you don't need the big anymore, right? Yeah. Um, no. Who was the – I'm trying to think. So the t- tallest teams in the tournament left are Arkansas, then Xavier, mm-hmm. then UConn, then Alabama, then Gonzaga. Okay. Then crazy. Yeah. Like, it checks out. They're playing the second tallest team, though. That's what. That's that's the point. The point is Texas right. is um, the third smallest team. Right. The two teams below them are FAU and Kansas State, and they're playing the second biggest team. So it's just it's an interesting dynamic there because even though Xavier shoots threes, they have a seven-footer on the inside. They have some rebounding prowess. Um, it makes for just an incredible matchup. I. Yeah. I have you. I have Xavier in my bracket, um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. Texas is playing very, very well right now. Mm-hmm. So. Let's hope we get that. Uh, that's a Lone Star matchup, man. That'll be a fun one. Oh, please. Yeah. Please. Please. By the way, I want to give you your flowers on Creighton. Oh yeah. Over Baylor. We can, we can transition. Let's transition. We we got all we got all the the goodness yeah. out of the way. Yeah. Uh, let's get to some of the badness. Uh, I guess we only got one. Or we got two. We got two losses in the men's. Um, yeah. So we'll give you your credit. You know, Creighton turned out to be exactly the matchup that uh, we thought for Baylor, which is too good on offense <laughs> to 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 stop. Um, and Baylor's offense really wasn't as crisp as we as they needed to be. Um, yeah, I mean, this I thought. I guess I thought that Baylor. They were they were good on offense, right? Don't get me wrong; they didn't play poorly on offense. Yeah. Um, they were, I thought they were good enough to win, but obviously defensively, that it just haven't been good. And I guess I don't know. It's tough for you know. I, I figured with this team that Jonathan Chamochacho changed a lot, and I don't know if it's just health or just rust. You know, he's out for a year basically obviously he just didn't he played what 11 minutes in this game and he just hasn't looked like the same player yeah uh, the the front court was is just not good enough this year bottom right. line flat out yep. uh, even though Jalen Bridges actually became a good player 
for mm -hmm. them, which is was good for him. Uh, but I don't even want to put it all on the front court because we know about Phil no. Thamba and Chan yeah. and Josh. And I mean, yeah, I was about to say that that's that's been the criticism this year. But the perimeter def defense is like where it starts. They can't me. stop like, anybody. They cannot stop anybody. Anybody. Ryan Nimhart had thirty points on them, and it was an easy thirty. And at no point did I watch the game and say, "Oh, there's a good stop by Adam Flagler or L.J. Pryor or <laughs> right. Dante George." They put Dale Bonner in there at times to try to stop Ryan Nimhard. That's how desperate they were. Like, there's – watching the game, it looks like they think Dale Bonner – and I don't know, maybe he is. Dale Bonner is the best perimeter defender they have. And I, on a team I with mean. Flagler, Cryer, and George. Yeah. And they couldn't stop a nosebleed. They couldn't stop anything, man. They were just getting carved up. Nimhard was running through them. Kalkbrenner uh, on the inside – uh, only was four of ten, so they actually did a good job on him. He had five offensive rebounds, though. I, it was really disappointing because Baylor's offense was good enough to get them back in the game, but they couldn't stop him. They just couldn't stop him. LJ Cryer, yeah. thirty points. I was about to say LJ Cryer. Hopefully, he comes back. Um, and I don't mean pro. I mean just like comes back in general. I don't know. I assume he's coming back. Scott Drew hasn't had any issues with transfers, but. Uh, yeah. Just presuming he comes back. Uh, I mean, this is going to be a, this is still going to be a fun team. They have a good recruiting class coming in. Obviously, they, they're going to lose Keontae George, but yeah, they got to figure something out defensively because they have like they have the firepower. Like last year, let's say if this team stays healthy, right, we're possibly talking about a Final Four team, a team that can run it back. Yeah. This year, the issues were very clear, and they were never. You know, if, probably if we talk to Scott Drew off the record, he'll probably say, yeah, that was kind of the issue. That was kind of the worry heading into this year was defense. Because um, they maybe, I don't know if they maybe didn't expect both Kendall Brown and Sohan to both leave, yeah. right? And so, like, they maybe didn't recruit that style of player uh, as well as they did. Because, yeah, you put, let's say you put one of those guys, right? Sohan or Kendall Brown on this team. This team's so much better. This team's infinitely better. So, yeah, they just didn't have anybody to throw at, at like, a, a Nimhart or even at, like, Baylor Shireman had eight points and they still won this game like easily. <laughs> like that's the that's the concerning part if you're Baylor. Is like one of their top scorers had eight points and they were like, Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't matter. It just just carved him up just with ease. Um, yeah, I that game went exactly how I expected it to go. I've I've gotten plenty wrong. Like I just said, I got, you know, um Indiana wrong on the other side of the bracket. So sure. Um, but that was one I felt good about going in was Creighton going to take care of Baylor there. Um, and then we scroll down. Where's uh, the other team? Oh, TCU, bottom right. Bottom yep. right. TCU, uh, Gonzaga. You can, you can mm. start it. I, I, I just felt like they, they're too small without Lampkin. Yeah. Um, I was about to say, they win this game with Eddie Lampkin. Like, like literally – they couldn't stop Timmy. There were times they had to put Michael Peavy on Timmy. And I yeah. was just like, what are we doing here? And so I didn't even look at it as being like an indictment on TCU or anything like that. I just no. didn't think this team as constructed without Eddie Lampkin can beat Gonzaga. Yeah. I was about to say, like, for us, we picked this. We definitely picked this. Um, I, we, I, I picked TCU. Did you pick TCU as well? I did pick TCU. Yeah. Okay. I did. So I, we thought, I, I, we, I think we talked about it a lot in the pre. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ma like matchup wise, we like this. Like style wise, I think we like this game, right? Gonzaga team that has been pushed around by teams like this, the teams that can be a little bit physical, that are good defensively, that have scores on their end, that can kind of drive and slash like Mike Miles, things like that. And 
what we didn't really, at least for me, what I didn't consider was just the fact that who guards Timmy or Drew Timmy, right? Like who, like there was no one that could guard Drew Timmy on that side for TCU. Um, And as much as style may have, you know, made Gonzaga uncomfortable at times, it just didn't matter, right? They, they more or less equaled them on the boards, um, uh, especially offensively. They didn't get, you know, TCU, of course, without Eddie Lampkin just isn't the same offensive rebounding team. Um, Jacoby Coles isn't the most fleet footed guy, so he's not going to be a, you know, that type of uh, nimble defender. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of Mike Miles trying to really, really put everything on his shoulders to really just get some stuff going. And in the end, like, when you have a guy like Drew Timmy, you can just throw the ball to, and he's going to get a bucket. Like, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, TC was there, right? This game never got out of hand, but in the end, it was just like when they needed a bucket, Gonzaga had the better matchup versus Drew Timmy versus anybody. <laughs> yeah, and the, I don't want to completely absolve everybody else on TCU from playing yeah. defense because I don't think they played great defense in this game. I mean, only forced um, nine or ten turnovers. I think that's where they were going to have to win this game was in the turnover battle, fast break mm-hmm. battle. And uh, they just weren't able to make Gonzaga uncomfortable enough, uh, which partially goes to Eddie Lampion, but partially just goes to, you know, this team maybe not being as dynamic defensively as we hoped uh, they yeah. would be coming off yeah. of last year's. So when, when Drew Timmy hit that three, I was like, oh, okay. This, it's, 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 it's a wrap. Yeah, it's yeah. probably a wrap. Um, by the way, Eddie Lampkin looks like he's headed to Georgetown, which, you know, with uh, uh, Ed Cooley there who just got hired from Providence. So that's a good spot for him. Hopefully he hopefully he feels comfortable there. He obviously had some complaints about Jamie Dixon uh, as he left um, via his Instagram. So, you know, he's a talented dude, man. He's a, he's a you know, he dropped a ton of weight coming out of high school. Yep. He was a huge player for them last year. He looked like he was going to be a huge player for them again this year. And obviously injury and you know, according to him, other factors, uh, you know, kind of impacted that. He's still, I'm assuming he'll maintain some eligibility. He's only a sophomore this year, which is kind of nuts to me. feels like he's been there for a while. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully he lands on his feet um, in Georgetown and becomes a big player for them. Yeah. All right. Um, real quick, NIT, North Texas, Sam Houston, in yep. Denton. North Texas goes 16 of 29 from three. And I had yeah. Uh, our 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 good friend Gabe Brooks said he'd never seen North Texas have that many open looks in his life. <laughs> from three. It, it was I didn't even think about it when I when I pre, when I looked at the matchup in my head. Yeah, Sam Houston State is 354th in defensive three point attempt rate. They allow <laughs> tons of threes. Yeah, come get the threes however you want. Still, yeah. they're a top twenty defense. Why? Sure. Because they force turnovers. They rebound really well. They don't let you on the inside, obviously. Um, I thought that would make for a really compelling game because North Texas is a fine three-point shooting team. They're not a, you know, dead-eyed three-point shooting team. Right. Uh, they have their ups and downs just like anybody else. As I kind of, you have Tyler there, and then everybody else does their thing. Uh, and then they just all decided to make all the threes. I was about and, to say, then Ruben uh, Jones decides to turn into Ray Allen. <laughs> Ruben Jones, five of five from three. Uh, it was an apps. I mean, obviously, Tyler Perry, six of nine from three, and he made three straight to start the game, which set the tone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, it, a lot of fun to watch it from North Texas perspective. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Um, and now uh, we'll see because uh, there's been Sam Houston, obviously, a disappointing end of the year for them. Um, 
we'll see where they go because it looks like Jason Hooten might be headed out. Um, yeah. KTSM, uh, Colin Deaver over there in El Paso is reporting that Jason Hoover or Jason Hooten is going to be uh, New Mexico State's really zeroing in on him, um, which would be a tough loss for them because like. New Mexico State's a good program, don't get me wrong, right? They're they're definitely one of the historically the better mid-majors in, around the area. But like that's not exactly the the step up that you if you're Sam Houston, that's not exactly the step up you want to lose your head coach to, you know? Um well, that's fellow conference USA. Now, I was about to say now it's about to be fellow conference USA program. So that's even a little that's a little bit more uh painful if if they yeah. do end up uh finalizing that. So I mean, he's done a great job at Sam Houston, so it's you know obviously deserved on his part. But yeah, if you're if you're the Bearcats, that's that's going to be a tough, tough pill to swallow if you lose to a you lose them to an in, in conference rival. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Oklahoma State for UNT. Yeah, North Texas versus Oklahoma State tonight, it's Tuesday, 6 p.m. I told this. There's nothing else on. No excuses. <laughs> Turn it on the television. Get to ESPN. I'll, I'll watch. I'll watch. I mean, like like we said, we said North Texas should be one of the favorite teams in the NIT. Um, this is a good. This is a favorable bracket for them. And you know, Oklahoma State's one, obviously one of the tougher teams they're going to come up against. But it's like I don't know. They're not unbeatable. <laughs> no, I think Oklahoma State's favored by four, which feels about yeah. right. Um, yep. It'll be interesting. I think it's a very low. I think it'll be a low scoring game, uh, defensive type game. So we'll see. All right, on to the women's side. Well, we got some spice. Yeah. Spice. Let's start with the spice. Hey, by the way, uh, it'll be a kind of a – if this game was in Denton, it'd be a better homecoming for Avery Anderson, who's from Justin. Um, well, he's hurt. Oh, he is? Okay, never mind that. Yep. So, hey, North Texas all the way. All right. Uh, but, yeah, Avery Anderson is hurt. But, yeah, I, did, I, did, I thought about that, too, when I was previewing it and everything. Um, all right, the women's side. Uh, we got well, – let's start with Texas. Let's start with Texas. Uh all right. Woo. Well, you want you, well, you want to start with the real story from the Texas game, <laughs> which is uh, Sonia Morris trying to get a Haley Bayless after the, in you the know what she said in line. I it looked like like because I've seen, I like, saw two different things. But go ahead. Right. I, I've I've seen. I think I said, "Call me a B again. I'll beat your ass." More yeah. Or less. Okay. Like I that's, I think that's, that's what, what I thought I, I saw. That's what I thought I read, uh, and then it, I read. I looked at it myself, and I was like, "Okay, that looks like what she said." Yeah. Which, the funniest part of that clip is Shayla Gonzalez right behind her, like looking like, "Are we about to? Are we about, is it about to go down?" Like she's Hold like, on. "I'm like, well, we gotta, like, what's happening? Like, let's take my earrings off." <laughs> right, right. Shayla Gonzalez looking like, "Wait, hold up, we about to is right here, right now? We about to go through?" <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that was that was hilarious. I, don't, I have to go back and watch that game to see like. Is Haley Van Lith chatting that? Because I, I was at the the first round game against Drake in yeah. uh, Louisville. I saw Louisville and Drake, and she's fiery, but she's not like trash talk fiery. She's somebody who like kind of like yells, kind of like in general, just kind of like yells and it yells at herself to kind of get going, things like that. She's like she'll scream and one things like that. But I would, I don't know. I'll have to go back and watch see if she. Is, I don't know. Is she yeah. is she chatting because like Sonia Morris ain't somebody I want to be trying to chat to. <laughs> <laughs> well the. the- it's disappointing because Sonia Morris has been injured, right? And, like for for so long, and I sent you the the exact uh, you know specifics of her injury. And for those who haven't sure. seen it, Danny Davis uh, tweeted out the whole transcript. I don't want to get too deep into it because I don't have it in front of me. But it is a, yeah. it was a very serious situation. 
sure. there um, that they had to fix and then it didn't fix. And the, so all that stuff. So she only played 11 minutes. Uh, we know Sonia Morris was the one of the biggest keys to this team because they needed scoring around Rory Harmon. And mm-hmm. without her, it was really just Shaley Gonzalez. They tried putting Shay Holly in there. It doesn't work the same. Their bigs are are good, but they're not they're not bigs that can really command the ball, you know, mm-hmm. can really command attention of the defense the same way. They're more of like catch and finishers. Yeah. So with all that being said, Texas loses 73 to 51. Louisville just kind of lit them up uh, yeah. starting the second quarter and uh, put them away. Uh, Vic Schaefer was very apologetic in the post game conference, but I think he understood that this team was injured a lot. Uh, Rory mm-hmm. Harmon was beat up as well. It's not an excuse. Everybody's beat up at this point, but it is a reason to, it's something to think about at this point with, sure. with the way Sonia Morris and Rory Harmon have been banged up this year. And a lot of their team has been banged up, but yeah, yeah. disappointing loss, disappointing loss. Yeah. I think the fashion in which they lost is just disappointing. Um, you know, what was the final score in this one? 73 to 51. And I, yeah. I think I will say this as well as I've seen this a couple of times is the, in the women's game, the upsets sting even more because they're playing at home. You know, right. like Indiana yeah, exactly. losing at home, right? Stanford losing at home, Texas at yeah. home, like those sting. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think I, I texted you this after, after the game, and I because I went, I saw the first round game against ECU in person, and even when they won convincingly, and I think this is going to be something that Vic Schaefer should should. They fixed a lot of the holes, but in, in the past two games, I think that the biggest hole is everything runs through Rory Harmon, yeah. right? Everybody, even though Shaley Gonzalez is a good secondary scorer, even though that Sonia Morris, when healthy, is a good secondary scorer, the bigs can get the dump off and get the layup, things like that. There's still no one that just can create for themselves. And I'm not saying they need a backup point guard because I think Rory is that type of player who, if healthy, plays Ironman minutes, right? She can do it both on both sides. And ideally, if you are a national title contender, sure, that's you just have a player like that who can play the whole game. Like Caitlin Clark doesn't come out for Iowa, right? Things like that. Um, so I'm not saying you find a backup point guard, but you need somebody else who can just play next to her and uh, give her some when she's not on the floor to be able to generate something because – you're gonna. You're probably gonna lose Shayla Gonzalez now. Uh, Sonia Morris. I think both of them are off. I think they're both grad transfers, and so I don't know if they have any eligibility left. So regardless, they're gonna have to come up with some secondary perimeter scoring. They do bring in Gisela Mall, who's a freshman, who's a four star from Cedar Park. She played point guard at Cedar Park. She was kind of the initiator at times there. I'm wondering if that's gonna be part of the solution, and then they go get somebody else to plug in next to her, but. If Roy Harmon can't set anybody up, this team just looks so, so pedestrian on offense because, like I said, it just relies on her. So, so Shaley Gonzalez is a good secondary ball handler and a secondary playmaker, but she's not somebody who you want who's not going to look for her own shot, really. Like a lot of her yeah. looks come from Rory Harmon. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to be my – that's the issue for me with this team. If they want to take that next step because, you know, even despite injury, you would still consider, you know, sec- uh, uh this to be a disappointment, right? You would consider this, yep. you know, even though Louisville's really good, Haley Van List, one of the best scorers mm-hmm. in this in the in the country. Um, losing in this fashion at home, still disappointing, and not even making it to the second weekend, you know, incredibly disappointing. So yeah, I think they know their holes. I think up front, 
I think they'll be fine up front, right? That's I think my, that's my bigger concern, honestly. Really, I I, like, I, I think oh. I think Deanna Gaston took a big step forward. Okay, I think. Go ahead, go ahead. So it's it's I think it's in combination with what you're saying is they need. I think you looked at it as, and I think you're right in that they need a guard to help out or a wing to help out Roy Harmon. Mm. In the women's game, I think they need a you need a big that can post up. That's fair. They, yeah. I don't think they like Lauren Ebo last year. I think was was reliable enough. You go back obviously yeah. two years ago. Charlie Collier was obviously. You don't need to say anything about that. But like, right. they need a big that can get the ball in the post and mm-hmm. command their attention of the defense. To me, I just don't think they had that. I think to me in women's basketball, that's more important sure. than even finding a secondary like ball handled it to me they got outscored in the paint like 36 to 20 then they got yeah, out rebounded by eight um they turned the i mean it was just they have nothing on the inside besides and i i agree with you i think that um their bigs actually improved as the season went on i think deanna gaston mm-hmm. took a significant step forward um but it's not the same as having that big that can catch the ball and really command defense to me yeah, let me see. I'm gonna see if I can find something real quick because. And I like Taylor Jones too, but like I was about to say, Taylor not... Jones. Is, I think that's their starting five next year, right? But they need somebody at the four, in my opinion. Like I, if they, I think they need to. Her and Khadijah Fai and Deanna Gaston. I don't want to say they're the same. They're different players, but like yeah. they offensively, they get points similarly. Right? They're all revolving around Roy Harmon. It's yeah. it's the same. It's exactly what you're saying. Is Rory Harmon yeah. every has to set everybody up? I want somebody that in the post can create for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I agree with what That's you're right. saying. A, a guard creating for themselves would be great too. I'm not saying they can't get that, but like, yeah, I want I want I want a big in 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 women's basketball, college basketball. I want, I want a big that can do mm-hmm. it for yourself. That's but, fair. No, I can I can agree with that. Um, I'm trying to I was trying to find if I could find another numbers on assisted but like like how many assisted buckets did they get but gaston more um five jones i can't i can't really find it but hoop steps um, is their only hope but right right yeah it doesn't look like they have that but i mean put it this way rory Harmon had a let me see if i can find these advanced stats right here she had a 35 percent assist percentage and which is a ton that's gotta be that that's gotta be one of the highest I'm trying I think to that think. Might be more. On the yeah. men's side, I think 30% is is like one of the tops in the country on the men's side. If I'm not, yeah, I'm gonna see if I can find the. Yeah, uh, but long story short, like yes, whether it's somebody on the inside or another ball handler on the outside, which I think somebody like Gisela Mall will help. Um, I think they also have Madison Booker coming in, who's a five-star freshman. Um, so somebody hopefully will help on that end. Um, but regardless, yeah, you need to be able to not rely on one player to <laughs> that much at least even even if she is one of the best players in the country like doesn't you should not have that much on her plate um yeah. so yeah i'm seeing her usage percentage is probably at 40 percent plus That's let me crazy. see so the okay so actually let me see this is actually interesting so i'm looking at it right now the leaders in the country so this kind of goes to our point though um caitlin clark leads the country with 48.6 percent Assist? assist percentage right <laughs> so that's one that's stupid but also she, so she has like, half the team's assists okay she assists right. on half the team's buckets almost okay right but also like 
she's also the team's leading scorer. So like everything goes through her. So that's fine. Yeah. I think that's, in my opinion, that's fine. I was literally hinging everything no, on yes. like a top two player in the country. So yeah. sure. Um, everybody else. It looks like to me, everybody else who's above Rory Harmon in this looks like she's about like 15th in the country. But the problem okay. is, in my opinion, everybody else is a more, I don't want to say more effective, but more aggressive score Four. as well. Yeah. And so I think that's, that I is, think her style just doesn't, her, her scoring is, I don't know. To me, that what that says to me is other teams like a Caitlin Clark. They're gonna. She's gonna be double. She's gonna be blitzed, and there's gonna be somebody open, right? And she's gonna dish him the ball because of how potent of a scorer she is. That's not necessarily Rory's game. She's not looking to score. She's looking for the assist. So yeah. I don't know. At least in my opinion, that's something that's that's a little. That's the more concerning issue for me. It's, an, um, it's as far it's, as that goes. It's an interesting dynamic because it's kind of like the. I hate even to. It, this isn't comparing her. Into, to this player but it is mm-hmm. kind of like the russell westbrook dynamic in a sense to where you have a player with the ball in their hands that isn't a shooter you know mm-hmm. per se that the defense can kind of defend without having to overload per se mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting situation there we'll see how they address it over the offseason because no doubt yeah. roy Harmon's a great player but when you have roy Harmon on your team you become a roy Harmon basketball player. they're 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 an interesting crossroads right now because like yeah they're Especially if we can talk, we can kind of transition now. Especially if yeah, Baylor sure. Ooh, looks a little uh, looks looks better next year, which I think they're in position to do because, my goodness, this Baylor team, man, this Baylor like this Baylor team had no reason. One beating, winning the last game, beating Bama, uh, was it Bama? Maybe? Yes, Bama. In yeah, time. they had no reason to be to come back and beat Bama. And then no reason to even be close in this game against Iowa or against UConn. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It, the final score ended up being 77-58 UConn. Um, but at halftime, it was a five-point game. Uh, Baylor was up six at the end of the first quarter. I mean, I think you laid it out well. I was impressed with this Baylor season. Start to start the bottom. You take away Drayana Edwards. You take away Elijah Black, uh, Asia Blackwell. Sorry. And this is still a team that makes it to the second round of the tournament mm-hmm. i liked it i liked it a good really good result from them um jade nolan's i we, we've talked about her before on this podcast mm-hmm. her how much she stepped up this year has been awesome sarah andrews jamie asbury uh, bella fonroy uh, dariana little page bugs really really good coaching job um overall as we look at baylor moving forward i'm interested to see who they get back i'm interested to see if they add asia blackwell I don't know Dreyanna Edwards' situation as well, but I think still. she's still she's still on the roster, and so I'm assuming that she's just been sitting out because of the. Or I got those two mixed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blackwell is the Ed- one that's a little issue is an issue potentially. I don't know if they, exactly, but Dreyanna Edwards is just sitting out to become eligible next year. That's what it was. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so we should be good there. Um, you know, you had some talent, which I'm I'm sure they will along with those two, and you get back. I don't remember. Is it as is it Asbury or Andrew or both of them are seniors? I don't remember which ones are seniors. Uh, I think Asbury Asbury is a senior. Andrew is still okay. coming back. Okay, so yeah, it'll be. I don't have much. I don't have much takeaway on this game. I don't know if you or even this this run. I just think it's been a really really good season for them. No, I th- yeah. I think if you're a Baylor fan, this season at least this season should have sold you on Nikki Collin, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, 
Because the biggest issue coming in was going to be, well, you just lost the top player in the country, and what do you do? And even with a hobbled roster, even with holes in the roster and inexperience, some in some cases, like Darion Little Page Bugs, you still flashed a ton of potential. You saw the style of play kind of start to come out. Players like Sarah Andrews taking a step forward. Darianna Little Page Bugs probably gonna be a starter next year. She took a step forward. Um yeah, I, I'm very fascinated to see where this team goes now. Um, I do think there's something to Gianna Edwards is gonna play a part next year, but you still lose a consistent player on the inside like Caitlin Bickle, right? That's gonna be a huge hole. That's gonna be a very underrated hole to fill, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so she, you lose her. And you think that, I mean, then you use Jamie Asbury as well, but I'm not worried about the perimeter and Jaden Owens. Um, so that's going to be kind of, in my opinion, if Asia Blackwell is going to play in that role as well, maybe who knows, but you still gonna, you're still going to need somebody as a consistent rebounder next to Edwards, maybe, maybe a little bit more defensive oriented player, like, uh, to fill that Caitlin Bickle role. Um, but that, so that, that's going to be the one worry for me. But again, I don't worry about that with, with the transfer portal and all that. She obviously showed last year that she's able to get some pretty good transfers in. Um, so yeah, in my opinion, I was sold completely on, on Nikki Collin going forward. It's going to be a big year for her next year, but I'm, I'm optimistic. In my, um, I don't know. I, that, that comeback win against Alabama was just like, okay, there's something like, just like really with this team and really with this uh, program right now. The excuse or not excuses. The, um, the well starts to run dry next year, I think. Because next sure. year is year three. Mm-hmm. You know, it is year three. And your first year, you had Melissa Smith. The second year, you had injuries. Sure, whatever. Year three, believe it or it's not, a little, bit, a little bit of a proven year. Yeah, a little bit of a proven year. So we'll see how that goes. Real quick, yeah. WNIT yep. uh, rundown. Rice loses to Oregon by 25. SFA mm-hmm. loses to Arkansas by 23. Uh, Tech beats SMU by 12. And just like that, Texas Tech is our only team in Texas Tech. My girl, Bay Bailey Malpan. Sweet 16, though. Sweet yeah. 16 for Texas Tech. My girl, Bailey Malpan. That's two two games in which he's led the Red Raiders in scoring now in the NIT. True freshman, Miss Texas basketball, former Miss Texas basketball, Bailey Malpan. Um, I'm like, I think Tech obviously is right now is in, obviously in a really good position to, to win the thing, but. I'm like really looking forward to seeing this team next year. Cause like if Bailey Malpan turns into like, not saying their leading score, but like a pretty yeah. good consistent score for them. Like how many scoring options is that heading into next year? Right. Jasmine Shavers is coming on Riley Griffin, of course is, is or Riley Griffin. Riley McKinney mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, obviously really reliable. I don't know, but I think they lose Brianne Scott. I, I think, I don't know if she has any, 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 yeah, COVID we'll eligibility or whatever. Um, but still, like, that's a very interesting backcourt to work with. So, I don't know. The fact that Bailey Malpan's kind of turned it on in the postseason has been kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, we'll we'll see if they can beat Arkansas. That should be a pretty good game. Uh, it's in Fayetteville. So, if Texas yeah. Tech can get that done, maybe we can talk about them a little bit more, potentially making yeah. a Final Four run in the WNIT. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let me see. I'm looking, let me look at the bracket real quick. Um, because it's of course this it's all like base schools left. It's 75 10, 75 teams. Yeah. Um, they'll get the winner of Kansas and Nebraska if they win this one. It's all big schools left. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. Anything else? Um, off the top of my head, I don't 
think no, so. You think that a lot it. of UTSA players are leaving. Everybody's worried about that. I was that. about to say there's a uh, lot of UTSA men's players hitting the road. <laughs> uh, oh, that's that's related. Uh, Steve Lutz got hired by Western Kentucky, which is disappointing, but happy for him. But yeah, he's he's leaving. Um, Jim Shaw takes over. Former Tech State assistant takes over at um, Corpus. I know some people want there want him to get the full time job. Um, but yeah, Steve, let's, uh, I, it, it, even if UTSA moves on from Henson next year, it's not going to be as easy to poach him from Western Kentucky as it would have been from Corpus. So no. they might've let their guy, let Missed their guy the go. Missed yeah. The boat. Uh, and then Steve Henson has to bring in like eight players. <laughs> yeah. Texas tech men still hasn't, hasn't hired a coach yet. Yeah. Uh, Fardos has entered the transfer portal. Yeah. Maybe waiting for one of these Andy Kennedy or Grant McCaslin to finish their NIT run. Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe waiting for uh, Rodney Terry or Sean Miller to be eliminated. <laughs> See what happens there. <laughs> Wait for Tex to make a decision. Uh, and yeah, I think that's all the coaching news I have on top of my head. I just saw Zurich Phelps is coming back to SMU. Yeah, I saw so, that. It's a huge pickup for them, man. That's good. Yeah, good yeah, stuff. Zurich Phelps. Zurich Phelps was not one of them. One of those problems. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's all we got. Uh, <laughs> hope y'all enjoyed it. Uh, hope. I mean. We have this out on Tuesday, so you yep. have a couple of days to listen to it before Thursday and everything ratchets back up. But uh, we appreciate you all for joining us. Those like, comment, share, and subscribe. If you're listening on the audio side, leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening, Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. You can follow us on Twitter at DCT Basketball, at Matthew Bruni underscore, and at Ishmael R. Johnson. Thank you all for joining us. We will talk to you all later.